0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right. Will you turn your Bibles, please, to Joel, chapter 2. Joel, chapter 2. Find Hosea. Go one more book after Hosea, you'll find Joel. Remember, there have been three plagues that have been promised to the nation of Israel and uh, they were near-term uh, plagues or promises that God made to them that would occur. There was the locust, the drought, and then a foreign army that was to come in. And uh, Joel is going to, and he covered that through chapter 2, verse uh, 11, really. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, he comes back to a theme that he had touched around chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and that is the call to repentance. And so in 2:17 or sorry, 2:12 through 17, he gives this call for repentance to gather the people together, to sound the trumpet, as it were, to get the people to pay attention. It was necessary for them to seek the favor of God in the midst of the difficulties that they were about to be facing or already were facing, in fact. And so he calls them to repent. We made a huge application out of this last time that our nation needs to do the very same thing. We need to turn away from sin and commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, we're not, I'm not just preaching to the church here. I'm preaching to the, to the world, to the nations, to the people who don't know Christ. You must repent or you will perish. That is basically the word here. Much like the prophet Jonah. Jonah said, turn or you will be destroyed. And they did, at least in Nineveh, temporarily turn under his ministry. God giving them a spirit of penitence for a time. Whether that was true salvation or whether it was um, merely worldly sorrow, we don't really know for sure. I I suppose some of them were truly born again, but others uh, certainly not. And uh, within a hundred years, that nation had turned back to its old ways. And uh, Nahum talks about that. But in any case, that's off the charts here for us. We're, We're in Joel. After the call to repentance, there's a new section in the chapter starting at verse number 18. And I've entitled this The Deliverance of Judah. The Deliverance of Judah. The Deliverance of the Southern Kingdom of, of Israel, if you will. Uh, uh, allow me that broad scope to say it that way. But uh, it says here, and let's read from 2.18, Then the Lord will be zealous for His land and pity His people. The Lord will answer and say to His people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. And you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. That word reproach, I don't know what you have in your Bibles, but i kind of simply translated it as embarrassment. You will no longer be made an embarrassment among the nations. Does that word get across to you more, a stronger idea of what reproach means? Reproach is kind of a, I don't know, it's a, It's a five-dollar word that might mask the the reality of itself. Uh, It's embarrassment. It's utter shamefulness what they had done. Uh, But he says, verse 20, I will remove far from you the northern army. I will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will arise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. I'm sorry, yes, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you And My people shall never be put to shame. That's why we put this at the end times. Never again will they be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Okay, There's that idea of reproach again. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Now, this passage is fairly loaded up with uh, good stuff here. Uh, I understand it to be referring to a far future fulfillment. I think that at some point in the book of Joel, you have to, as we indicated before, you have to recognize that the prophet is seeing like two mountain ranges afar off, as that illustration has often gone, and you say, wow, that mountain range there looks like I could just hike from that one to that one until you get to the peak of the first one and you realize it's miles before the next one. And you have to go down and up through the valley and up the other side. It's very far away. So from an angle of this perspective, you can't tell the distance between those two mountain peaks. But if you were to just kind of come over and look at them from this angle, you would see, oh my, there's a great distance of time between them. And that's what is going on here. The prophet doesn't know exactly how long out these things will be. Some evidently he does because he says they're coming near. Uh, They're near at hand. Others, like in 18, he says, then the Lord will be zealous for His land. When? How far out is that? It doesn't tell us, but we correlate these events with some end-time things that we see uh, elsewhere. And if you were to believe that uh, Joel uh, Joel 2 here is quoted somehow in Acts chapter 2, you'd have to say if Acts 2 was some kind of fulfillment, which I doubt, but I'll I'll just express that later. If it were, then we'd have to know that the fulfillment of Joel 2 was not at least until then which is centuries later, many centuries later, you see. I, don't, I think it's even farther beyond Acts 2 and future to us, but at least that would tell you it's that far out into the future. The opening verses of this section is a really great blessing. Then the Lord will be zealous for His land and pity His people. Can you imagine? Uh, I just was thinking of some other verses that kind of touch this. Uh, Isaiah, I don't have to turn there, but uh, 60 and verse 10, "...the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in My wrath I struck you, but in My favor I have had mercy on you." I have had mercy on you. And a wonderful word that is. Now, notice what it says here. He will be zealous for His land. Do you remember those verses in your Old Testament that says the zeal of the Lord has done this? Or the zeal of the Lord of hosts is what is responsible for this sort of thing? Just think of a couple of verses that refer to that. Second Kings 19 and verse 31. Again, you don't need to turn there, but if you want, you may. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Or uh, Isaiah 9-7. I'm not suggesting that all of these refer to exactly the same time period and future future, uh, prophecy. I'm just saying that they're connected by this idea of the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Listen to this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of his increase sorry, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, this is speaking about that future time. Uh, we see the same in Isaiah thirty seven. In verse 32 37 and 32 it says these words for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this similar to what we read before Zechariah 114 it's a little beyond where we are in our Old Testament in Joel and Zechariah chapter 1 It says these words, So the angel who spoke with me said, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. And then Zechariah 8, verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. This zeal combined with pity from Joel 2, again, 18. He, he will pity His people. So the zeal combined with pity, combined with God's infinite power, will extend to both land and people. The land will be restored. The people will be rejuvenated once again. Uh, I just can't help but think, you know, folks who, who downplay the nation of Israel in the future... I, I am sorry for your souls because you're missing a huge truth in the Bible. God is zealous for that nation of Israel. We might not understand it. We might not even agree with it. It doesn't matter what we understand or agree with. The text is very clear. God is zealous for His people and He will not relent upon His promises. As I've said many times, if He can relent upon those solemn covenant promises to Israel, then He can relent on His solemn Salvific promises to you. And I don't think you want to go there. Not at all. So, God's zeal, His pity, His power will perform the great work of restoration of Judah and Jerusalem and Israel. And this includes two items, two categories, if you will. First, material blessing. And second, spiritual blessing. We're going to look at material first because that's where the text is. Verses eighteen to twenty-seven, and he says Joel does under the inspired uh, movement of God's Spirit that uh, this will include agricultural prosperity. Uh, Think of it: Um, a grain, new wine, oil. The army will go away. The locusts, the real, the human army, the locust army, um, drop down to uh, twenty-two. The open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. You know, if if conditions are right, how fast things can grow, it's incredible. Just incredible how fast things can grow if the conditions are correct. Right temperature, right moisture. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine. All of these things are just going to spring into action and there will no longer be this a detriment or a deficit, I guess I should say, of the work of nature in providing the agricultural bounty that it can produce. There will no longer be a reproach on the people, an embarrassment to them. That will be removed as will the northern army be removed. Some believe this northern army is the same exact one. It's in 2, 1 through 11. I don't take it to be the case, although I understand there are difficulties in interpretation. There are difficulties whatever way you take it. But uh, I understand this to be the eschatological army from the north mentioned in Daniel chapter 11. Remember, the king of the north, the king of the south, all that stuff going on with Antichrist. This connects to that. Now, the land will be able to rejoice under these conditions. Uh, the, the, a happy land is a productive land. Uh, you know, the the earth itself, when it seems when it's dry, when it's barren, it seems unhappy. Yeah, this is different. It will be able to rejoice. Uh, what does he say here about the beasts of the field? Oh, he tells them not to be afraid. Hmm. You know, oftentimes. He also tells the people in passages like this, the people won't have to be afraid of the beasts. The beasts won't have to be afraid either because they will have their um, uh, provision and the people will not be uh, ravaged by them. I suppose the two ideas are connected after all. If the beasts of the field have enough to eat, then they don't come after the people to eat them. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and uh, and oftentimes the the beasts are are a big problem. I was reading in Pasteur's bio auto or no biography Louis Pasteur or Lewis, if you will, uh, how he treated rabies and hundreds of people came to him who had contracted rabies. They hadn't even started human trials yet, and the first one came and he gave this little child uh, the first vaccination, the second, the third, the fourth, and. Healed this child, the first one who ever was known to survive rabies from a rabid animal. These animals would, he remembers when he was a child, a wild animal would come down from the mountains and ravage their village. Just went in, it was like a wolf, and it just went in, it was crazy. Bit people like crazy, and people died from this disease. It was an awful disease, too, if you think of it. I don't know if you know anything about it, but just awful. Wouldn't set in maybe for 30 days. But it was just a terrible way to go. Um, They will not have to worry about this sort of thing. The pastures and the trees will bear their fruit. Rain will come faithfully. Crops will grow. Wheat in abundance. Grain and oil. Grapes and olives. The effects of the locusts will be removed, reversed. People will have plenty of food. Uh, This is a sign of prosperity. Let me remind you, if you have plenty of food on your table you prosper. You know what I'm saying? You don't have a worry about where your next meal is going to come from. There are a lot of people in our own land where apparently that's not the case. Not to mention, outside of our borders, people who don't have enough food, they don't have three square meals a day, they might be lucky to have two or one or some of one. If you have a lot of food, choice and you are prosperous you are prospering Uh, both uh, or two times in 26 and 27 there are promises that the people will never be put to shame again Uh, and that's why my understanding is that this is a far future fulfillment it's the final blessing that will go on for eternity and it will not ever be interrupted again what would it be interrupted by well, if it were, say, a thousand, two thousand years ago, it would have been interrupted by a hiccup in the obedience of the people of Israel. A hiccup in obedience is another way of saying disobedience. They would have ceased to obey. But that's not going to happen again to them in the far future. The nation will be largely, in the, in the millennial kingdom, largely faithful. And in eternity, of course, there will be no sin left at all. So, this blessing will go on for eternity. This promise has not yet seen its fulfillment. Now, this all calls for a response. All this material uh, prosperity calls for a response. First of all, look at 21a. Fear not, O land. Now, I've mentioned land as far as the land itself, but the land with its people, its inhabitants. Fear not. So, the... In response to this, the people should trust the Lord. That's number one. Then, secondly, they should express joy and gladness. Look at 21 again. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. 23a also. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you. Sometimes we need a a pick up. You know what I'm talking about? A pick me up, a pick you up, to remind ourselves. Think of what God has done for you. It's not all doom and gloom and COVID nineteen. You know? There are lots of things that the Lord has done for us. I mean, think of, think of just salvation. What else do you need? The prosperity of food on your table. The ability to, to live in peace. All of that. Be glad and rejoice. O oh my soul, why are you so downcast? Lift your eyes up and look upon God. See what He has done for His people. So first of all, trust. Second of all, joy and gladness. Third of all, praise. Verse 26, uh, be there. And praise the name of the Lord your God. So you trust God. You have joy because of what He's done. And then you turn around and you praise Him. That is what it should be like. And finally, there is a response of confidence in the Lord. Verse 27, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Boy, it is a real bad situation if you don't know there's only one God. If you have no confidence that you know the true God through Jesus Christ. If you're kind of waffly, you know what I mean? No, but when you know for sure and you are firm, I know whom I have believed. I know what I believe. I know what I'm supposed to believe. I know the source of where I get the stuff that I believe. I know a bunch of people too that believe the same way that I do. And we're going along this pilgrim pathway walking towards heaven. And you have confidence Israel should have had all of these responses, trust and joy and gladness and confidence and praise in God because of the deliverance that He promised to them in this text of Scripture. And we can mirror their confidence and joy and trust and praise today because He also likewise has delivered us. He has delivered us. We'll see how in a moment Well, the clock is my enemy right now. But, listen to this as we just close this little section of material blessing. Psalm 126, verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Or whereof, we are glad if you have the King James in your in your little noodle like I do sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> you've memorized it that way. But He has done great things for us. And we are glad. We are happy about that. In, in 10,000 years, it will not matter some of these small temporal problems that we experience because we will have salvation full and free and thorough and all of its effects. So that's the material blessing. Let me just touch on the spiritual blessing as well tonight, and I think we'll have to revisit this again next time. But you have spiritual blessing along with supernatural phenomena occurring in the last five verses of the chapter, starting in verse 28. Okay. Now, because of the detail of what we've already gone over, and the time words here, and it shall come to pass afterward... We know immediately that this has to do with a far future fulfillment. I already correlated in your mind this with Acts chapter 2 and said, look, it's got to be way far forward in the future to Joel, but it's even farther future than that. As we will see, I think very clearly, chapter 3 also will further support this interpretation. And so, once we have this... Here's the thing um, about Bible study. Sometimes there are certain parts of the Bible that you just lock in and they are fixed, like fixed reference points, like landmarks. They don't move. Okay? So once we've determined that this is a far future fulfillment, we just lock it in there and without concern really that any other text of Scripture is going to undermine this conclusion. Now some who are you know, hermeneutically sensitive out there will say, well, that's kind of crazy. But I mean, at some point, you have to have some kind of bedrock. I mean, if it says God created in six days, it means that He created in six days. That's a a bedrock truth that cannot be moved. And you move forward from there. Same with Revelation 20. Same with some of these passages that talk about... I mean, let's, let's just be honest with ourselves. When have we seen... Wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of God. When Mount Zion, there will be salvation. What does that mean? Jesus coming back. Have we seen any of that yet? Well, We know it's far future then. We just can take it to the bank. okay? It's, it's a cashier's check. It's guaranteed. There's no problem. So fix it and move on. Don't have to be all uncertain. Uh, reading a book on hermeneutics right now is very interesting. How the author exposes this idea that, in the last um, oh, since the I don't know when he puts it exactly, but certainly in the 90s, probably before that too in some circles, but and forward, there's this whole era of just tentativeness about our conclusions of Bible study because we say we have this new idea of pre-understanding. And the idea of pre-understanding is that everybody comes to the text with presuppositions and you cannot shed those things. You cannot be an objective observer. So what does that do? That means you have to take all of your conclusions with tentativeness. Well, maybe. Or it's likely that this is the case. And I understand that to some extent. But like I'm trying to say here, there are certain things that you just cannot take tentatively. Like maybe Jesus really did die as a substitute for us. No, that's a heresy. He did not maybe do it. He did it for sure. There's no question about it. There can be no question among Bible students led of God's Spirit to understand the Word of God. So uh, that's the kind of viewpoint that we take here and we're going to just keep on doing that. So in any case, look at 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, Now, has that happened? Even in the book of Acts did that happen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. On my men servants, maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. There will consequently to this, pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh, be an explosion of prophetic and revelatory activity in those days. People will be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, it says all flesh here. Normally, normally, all flesh refers to all humanity. Okay, so I wrote down—I can't—I can't count them right now, but at least fifteen verses that use this phrase, "all flesh." One of them in Genesis six twelve. All flesh had corrupted its way before God. Uh, the, the, the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually, and so God was going to do what? What? Wipe everybody out with the flood. That's in Genesis 6, 12, 13, 17, 19. Chapters 9, 15 to 17. Then you see the same in Numbers and so on. However, it could be, I will concede, it could be that this is limited only to Israel. All flesh of Israel. Now I think that's broader than that. Um, but listen to the reason why you might say that. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, And then there's men servants and maid servants. So um, this might be all flesh of Israel because all the nations are mentioned in chapter three as well. Uh, I'll let you, you know, deal with that. Uh, the problem with pouring it out on all flesh, all humanity is that you've got all these nations in Joel chapter three that are going to come before judgment and they're full of unbelievers. God's not going to pour out His Spirit on all unbelievers, so that becomes a problem for us to have to deal with With that, with just taking the broad, broadest possible uh, expression of all flesh. But in any case, there's going to be, regardless of what you think the details are, a massive outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the people. Now, when is this going to be? When is this going to happen? Well, I think... We can uh, see it in Jeremiah. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, 31-33. God says uh, to Jeremiah, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put My law in their minds. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be My people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor. And every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their iniquity, their sin, uh, and their sin I will remember no more. Uh, We see the same in the New Covenant passage in Ezekiel chapter 37. as God's going to pour out His Spirit in the nation of Israel. And so I think that's the kind of correlation here. We're talking about the beginning of this great period called the Millennium, the Kingdom of Christ when this is going to occur. So, uh, I think we're going to have to pause there. But you've seen now that God promises the material blessing to reverse the prior calamity, and He is promising spiritual blessing as well. And you know, you have to have the spiritual blessing to be able to have a continuation of material prosperity. (laughs) To have any prosperity at all, you need the, the spiritual blessing. And uh, that's going to come along with some supernatural phenomena, which we'll look at next time and correlate with Revelation 6-19 through and also Matthew 24, which we looked at in some depth a few weeks ago on Sunday morning. So we'll see how Scripture will all tie together here. All right, let's have a prayer. Then uh, I'm going to have John uh, turn off the the uh, live stream and we'll make a couple other comments uh, privately here and then we'll be on our way. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you will bless our time and uh, just help us as we think about these portions of Scripture to understand them. And, and, And Lord, we might not have a full grasp of everything, but I'm grateful to you, Lord, that we can have enough of a grasp to know that we can have full confidence in you, we can rejoice, we can be glad. We can trust You. We can praise You. And I pray that that will be our portion. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.